in her book, Faith, Trusting Your Own Deepest Experience, Sharon Salzberg wrote a chapter entitled Faith and Fear. In that chapter's opening pages, she writes, no matter how much we want it to be otherwise, the truth is that we are not in control of the unfolding of our experiences. Despite our search for stability and prediction, for the center of our lives to hold firm, it never really does. Life is wilder than that, a flow we can't command or stave off. We can affect and influence and impact what happens, but we can't wake up in the morning and decide what we will encounter and feel and be confronted by during the day. She goes on to say that when life feels out of control, our most ready response is fear. When fear dominates, she says, our sense of possibility collapses. It limits our options, strangles creativity, restricts our vision. Thanks a lot, Sharon, for just reading me without even knowing who I am. <laughs> Don't you hate that? When you read something profound like that and the only thing you can think of is, were you looking over my shoulder when I did that? Or were you reading my mind when I thought that? See, I've been knee deep in an ongoing conversation with others and within my own spirit about the unfolding of experience that Salzburg is talking about. Is there enough room in the human heart and mind and spirit for the realities of it? What it calls on us to do, who it calls us to be, and what it moves us toward. If that is, we can, you know, get out of the way long enough to let it. It is precisely that unfolding of experience that makes change so hard to step into, right? Am I the only one who feels that in the room? Okay. And also, just so we're all clear, this is an exchange, so if you feel like you need to respond in any way to what's being said, don't hesitate to do that. <laughs> a quiet room sometimes worries me a little bit, so I'm just going to put that out there. You see... I'm totally fine with this change business, so long as you give me a, a, a script. <laughs> right? I see this unpredictable unfolding, this dominating fear happening every single day. I see it in myself, and I can feel the intensity of it in others as I do the work I'm called to do in communities of all faiths. And I go back often to questions like, what am I supposed to do about that? Who am I supposed to be through that? 
What can we do together as we encounter this fear of the unknown? And so, here I am, at this moment in time, wrestling with these questions again. My great joy this morning, however, is that I get the pleasure of wrestling with these questions, if only for a little bit, with all of you. Last week, from Wednesday to Saturday, my honey, Lelena, and I, and some of our dearest friends and colleagues were able to attend the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference. For those of you who may not know what this is, it's a gathering of trans-identified and, and gender non-conforming people of all ages, ethnicities, sexual orientations, and income levels, our families, and friends, to gather for opportunities to connect and learn and grow together. We spend three days, well, it's three days for a lot of folks, for folks who are part of the spirituality track, um, it's actually four days. <clears throat> we spend four days talking about issues across a broad spectrum, issues that really matter to who we are as trans and gender nonconforming folks, issues around our health care and our emotional and spiritual well-being and creative expression. It is, hands down, one of the most empowering gatherings I have ever been a part of. Not just as a trans-identified person myself who constantly longs for deep connection with people who have similar experiences, but also as a human being who cares deeply about the ways in which these kinds of gatherings can pave the way for healing in our lives. And let's be honest, how many opportunities do you think I get to spend three days with literally thousands of trans and gender nonconforming and, and, and people of all sorts of gender identities and expressions? It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Not in that way. So there I was, over the course of four days, with a fair amount of work to do. You know, one day, I, one, I don't know, maybe Lelaine and I can work with each other on this, but one day I'm going to get to go to these conferences and actually not do any work. <laughs> um, thank you for that. We're going to have to talk about that. Okay, we're, we're going to work on that. All right, but I, you know, I, I show up and I have plenty of things to do. And, you know, I'm surrounded by some people I care for deeply and know really well and quite a lot of people who I've never actually met before. And I was scared out of my wits. I was really afraid. Now, for those of you who may not know me as well, it wasn't the sheer size of the conference space or the subject matter or even the numbers of people I had the opportunity to meet that frightened me. The thing that unnerved me was that as a person of faith who tends to believe that how we connect and heal is bound up in how we understand our faith, I knew that I was likely to hear people's stories of faith. Stories of spirituality, of deep connection, of loss of spirit. Stories of painful separation from community, 
and longing for healing in community. Stories of misunderstanding, mistreatment, and stories of fear of what's to come. I was afraid of what I might be invited to carry. I was afraid of whether or not I would know how to hold that space of honesty and trust the right way. And I didn't fully understand until I got home that this fear, and this fear alone, was at the heart of so much of my anxiety over that four-day period. Isn't there a script? Isn't there a book or two or three that I can read to help me figure out how to hold that space? Isn't there a way to posture myself so that I can be ready for what comes whenever it comes? Better yet, isn't there a group or a company, a group of people, or, or dare I even say, a denomination that I can align myself with to make the impact of what I might hear less jarring? As the questions rush forward, my mind starts to scramble for any answers I've managed to pick up along the way. But if, if you're anything like me, when that many questions start to rush in, it gets harder and harder to stay focused. And then nothing comes, right? But something has to come through because it matters. This is important stuff. I have to say or do the right thing to ensure that this opportunity for deep connection doesn't pass us by. But nothing. What did Salzburg say? Options limited, creativity strangled, vision restricted. And before you know it, shut down. But Salzburg isn't really finished. It's only the beginning of the story. She assures us that faith, in contrast to fear, reminds us of the ever-changing flow of life with all its movement and possibility. Faith is the capacity of the heart that allows us to draw close to the present and find there the underlying thread connecting the moment's experience to the fabric of all of life. It opens us to a bigger sense of who we are and what we're capable of. Now, as much as I like to praise and shout in worship, I know some of you haven't seen that as much yet, but that's okay. As much as I like to praise and shout in worship, at the heart of my faith is being still and trying my best to be quiet. The deep connections we are called to make with one another have nothing to do with saying or doing 
the right things and everything to do with being present. As Bishop Charleston offered in our call to worship this morning, without conditions and without needing for anybody to change themselves, hide themselves, or explain themselves. If deep connection is what we seek with and among one another, it cannot be scripted precisely because deep connections are meant to run deep. And what runs deep for me may be different from what runs deep for you. Right? So, my needs as a trans-identified black man with educational privilege and limited income, straight perceived but very much queer identified, lover of the gospel and of Jesus Christ and of the Buddha and believer in the power of all faiths to impact the healing of this world may be different from yours, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe not, but <laughs> my guess is what my needs are are going to be different from each and every person in the room. And so if deep connection is what we seek as we talk about class and economic justice, then we must be prepared to stop, be present, and listen, because deep connections are meant to run deep. If deep connection is what we seek as we work to unlearn what we may think we know about gender and sexuality, then we must be prepared to stop, be present, and listen, because deep connections are meant to run deep. If deep connection is what we seek as we endeavor to bring all of who we are to worship, then we must be prepared to stop and be present for all that we bring and listen. Because what? Deep connections are meant to run deep. If deep connection is what we seek in order to recognize that each of us is differently abled and equally valued, then we must be prepared to stop, be present, and listen to the richness of these abilities because why? Deep connections are meant to run deep. Deep connections are meant to run deep. And thankfully, I had someone very dear to me telling me in all kinds of ways that my only charge in these incredibly powerful and impacting moments is to hold space enough so that the person who is on the verge of showing up 
believes enough in their own safety that they will show up fully. Thank you, Teo, for reminding me that we will never understand that which we have not been intentional about making room for. Thank you. Now let's not fool ourselves. Holding space for the deepest truths of people's lives ain't easy. And yet, we are called to do it in this place and outside of this place because First Parish Cambridge endeavors to be a multiracial, multicultural justice-making community. I mean, maybe not. Did I? Did I read the wrong mission statement? Is that the right one? This is who we endeavor to be, yes? yes. That's so, thank you. <laughs> Our collective project of existing in this space and in the world by its very nature, nature involves learning a little at a time about how to build up the space within ourselves and the spaces outside of ourselves. In Metropolitan Community Church, we refer to this as tearing down walls and building up hope. And it takes a real opening of the spirit. Don't, don't be fooled. It takes a real opening up of spirit and an opening up of one's faith to trust what's possible in the spaces between all of us. I've listened to plenty of people try to explain to me what the Holy Spirit is. <laughs> a lot of people. And none of them made as much sense as this makes sense. That thing that doesn't really have a name and we don't need to give it one, right? That thing that happens when the air we breathe, when the space between us carries within it a deep desire for all of us to be fully welcomed, fully embraced for who we are and fully celebrated. It happens in all of this. It doesn't just happen in here, okay? Is everybody clear? <laughs> it doesn't just happen in your head. That's a nice place. Hopefully good things are going on in there. <laughs> Important things, relevant things. That's not where, it's, that's not where it starts and stops. It, it really kind of continues in here, right? It matters what goes on in here, in our hands. It matters what goes on in our bodies. And it matters what goes on in here. How we take each step toward the next person and what we do, or perhaps maybe don't, or shouldn't say or do. That space, that's where deep connection gets cultivated. And that space matters as much as all of the rest of it does. 
this journey of faith offers us a pretty wild ride. Not only into the unknown, but also into the unknowable. And it's up to each of us with a little help sometimes from our friends. Not to get caught up in how to capture what that journey looks like, but to keep our hearts and minds and spirits attuned to the deep brilliance that it offers on its own terms in the here and now. Because then we have limitless options. Then we have inspired creativity. Then and only then do we have boundless vision that our faith can enliven in with, within us. It's a pretty remarkable place to aspire to, bear witness to, and share with others. The lyrics of the song that inspired the title of this sermon represent a vision of this remarkable place. Paul David Hewson, most commonly known as Bono, most of us, frontman of the band U2, had heard a story about the streets of Belfast, North England, where a person's religion and income are supposed to be evident simply by the street you live on. He contrasted this with the anonymity he felt when visiting Ethiopia with his wife. And ultimately he learned that what was going on in that and so many other countries around the world isn't just about poverty, it's really about justice and all of the places we go and need to be when we're thinking about justice. In a Rolling Stone article in 2005, he said that the song contains a powerful idea. In the desert, he said, we meet God or the divine. In parched times, in fire and blood, we discover who we are. Bono is talking about a place where we don't have to have the answers or know the way. He's talking about a place where all we have to do is show up, be present, and listen. It's an unfinished lyric, Bono offered, where our greatest potential is as yet unrealized. It's where the force of logic and love that exists in the world isn't meant to be shaped by us humans. We are meant to be shaped by it. Amen and Ashe.